Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by the lovely Dimity McDowell. Hello, Dimity. Hello. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, yes, my dear. Happy, happy Valentine's Day to you. <laughs> are you are are you wearing red? Um, I'm not. I'm actually wearing camo. <laughs> maybe that <laughs> my camo jeans, maybe that tells my true sentiment about this holiday. Um, I actually wore a pink, I have a pink tank top, so I'm I'm a cap civilian slash, you know, military wannabe half mother runner right now. I've got my camo jeans on with um, still my sports bra and a pink tank top. So that's kind of, and a white sweatshirt. So I, oh. I've been, uh, I came home at least changed my pants before I went to do this volunteer reading thing that I do. I was in, you know, it was one of those days where I wasn't going to get out of my workout wear. And I'm like, I don't know if you would appreciate the smells coming from my trees right now. So I'll at least change, put on some undies and put on my jeans. So here I am. Oh, good, 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 there's, good. There's the answer that you didn't think you were going to get. Yes, yes, I didn't think it would include underwear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually um, sort of am walking a line. I'm wearing our badass mother runner lifestyle tee, which has a heart on it. That's good. So, yeah. And then I'm um, wearing a little red cardigan over at the the one that I always wear over this shirt. So you probably know it, Dimity. <laughs> I, I always wear on Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. I, know. Yeah, I no. know. Yeah, are you celebrating any in any way? Oh my gosh, Jack really stepped it up. He left, um, he put together um, little bags that, uh, different paper bags, um, you know, with little designs like hearts or Be My Valentine on them for each of us with a card in front of it and line them up on the island in our kitchen and so had what some, was in the bags um for me there were two full-size york peppermint patties yum. which a yum exactly and a gift card to the local cinema to the, the theater chain near us oh, and sweet. yeah and for the kids he got um some candy a book of sudoku puzzles that was from the dollar store and I'm not sure. Oh, and well, he got John's iPhone fixed last night. And so it had been broken for a long time. And so that was in John's um, package. He was very excited about that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. 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 So, um, yes. Yeah, so last night, John and I sort of celebrated um, my son, John, my 13 year old son and I sort of celebrated Valentine's. We went out, we went out downtown to see um, Le Ballet Trocadero de Monte Carlo, which is... Um, the all male ballet troupe from actually they're not from Monte Carlo they're from New York City and they dance on point which is extremely unusual for uh, a man to dance on point um, but it is John's dream to dance on point so <laughs> that's awesome was it cool it was very cool they and they they're also slightly comedic I mean they're not hammy and as John said that you know John loves a good joke and so he was like I was glad they weren't too funny but there was one of the best things was there was one point that it was it was funny, but it wasn't like really funny. But there was one guy in the whole audience who thought it was really funny. And he had a very unusual laugh. And he kept laughing, kind of like blurting out this laughter. And I won't even try to like repeat it. And it was so funny. And John nearly lost it. Like he just was laughing at the laughter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) So so that was very fun. And um, I mean, I just love seeing art in person. I just adore it. I just adore it. Well, I was going to say, I I saw on your thing. I mean, so you linked to this movie. It's not artistic performance. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a movie out. Have you heard of Dan Seur? D-A-N-S-E-U-R? Mm-mm. It's a movie about um, males in ballet. Oh. Um, and it's kind of touring the country. I know we've got some moms who have uh, uh, male dancers. So mm-hmm. 
Um, and the reason why I know is it was it's um, being hosted up in Broomfield, Colorado. But oh. if you check it out, dancewermovie.com, you could probably bring it to your area. Oh, yeah. I'll have to look for it. It's about, um, you know, the struggles of young men being dancers. Oh, huh. It was interesting. Um, the trocks, as they are affectionately called, really their dancing really made me kind of consider the the traditional male and female roles in dance and sometimes then in larger in life. But because they had um, all the dancers were dressed up as women, except for one who was dressed as a very feminine man. He had kind of a page boy haircut and very elaborate makeup. And, but he walked around literally very flat footed. And so it was kind of almost, I saw it as a statement of, you know, okay, men don't dance on point. So they are almost kind of plodding along on the stage. And then the women, Obviously, they, you know, the ones who were dressed as women had very, um, made very elaborate poses with their arms. And it was just very striking. You suddenly, it really seemed to take a lot of effort. And then you realize that kind of, oh, they're supposed to look effortless. And all they're doing is holding their arms up. And well, is holding your arms up really difficult? It just was, I don't know, it was very thought provoking. And it was intriguing. So uh, we awesome. Had yeah. Well, speaking of dancing, I mean, they had nothing on us in our striptease class in Rancho La Puerta, right? <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, that was just the best. I'm so glad you you had us do that. It was mandatory. So yeah, so we had a retreat in Rancho La Puerta, which is in Tecate, Mexico, um, about 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and because I'd been there before, I knew a couple a couple things that I thought would be fun for just AMR programming. And so we mostly go with, went with the flow there and people could take anything from Pilates to bar class to cardio, cardio drumming, drumming. whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, but the striptease class taught by this instructor named Manuel, it was just, it's so fun. And everybody was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, just come, just come. And it turns out, you know, it was, it was the hit. Oh, of, yeah. the, uh, of the retreats, at least from the exercise standpoint. It was, it was. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, it was just so beautiful. And, um, you know, so the one thing, the striptease, the striptease, the Rachel was Puerto. Yeah. It was, striptease was just like all of us trying to learn how to dance, which again, like we all learn. I mean, it's people that make any sport look effortless are actually like the best at it because oh, anything, yeah. you know, it's like rowing. Oh, that looks so effortless. And you're like, Oh, try see a boat of beginners and see a room full of you know beginner strip teasers and it is not effortless. <laughs> beginner strip teasers, not a phrase yeah. you hear all the time. <laughs> so yeah, no. The, so the beauty of which I was speaking was of the the ranch property and the buildings and um, uh, yeah, it was just and it was so lush. That's what I wasn't expecting. That, well, I mean, the rain helped a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that that rain helped a little, but but it is also so far north in Mexico. I mean, it's just yeah, it's pr- right, it's right, just south of the border of San Diego. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about an hour's drive. So yeah, and it's hard. I mean, you know, I mean, I've tried to, I've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast, and like you can say it's magical, you can say it's peaceful, you can say it's you know, I mean, all these like life changing, you know, spirit provoking things, and it is all those things. But until you experience it, it's really hard to put that into, you know, it's like visiting a college, hearing about a college and then visiting it and then being mm-hmm. a student there. Like, you know, you just lean in deeper and deeper and deeper. And the ranch mm-hmm. gives you this place, this, this opportunity to lean into so many different things from meditation to, I mean, we had some amazing trail runs, um, you know, great food, great mm-hmm. company. I mean, the whole thing was just a bang up affair. Mm-hmm. Well, and I gotta say for me, one of the serious high points was um, got to hear, and you had encouraged me to do this as well, to go hear the co-founder, Deborah, who turns 97 later this year. 
And she's just a fire. She's just like a fire plug. I mean, she's a just Spitfire. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Fire, fire engine. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> she... Spark plug, a spark plug. That's what she is. And, uh, oh, and it was, it was a moderated Q and A because you can tell that she's just really wants to veer off in a direction that the, that the, uh, you know, administration does not want her to. And, uh, you know, so she and her husband founded it back in the early 1940s and, you know, way back then people stayed in tents and, just oh my gosh and she was her mother was the one who kind of led her on this path of health and wellness and that they were this jewish family living in brooklyn and they the mother moved them to tahiti because they were fruitarians and back then the only fruit you could get in brooklyn mainly was bananas (laughs) so she so they moved to tahiti for the fruit (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it's amazing it's amazing Her life lessons. I mean, the two things, you know, I think she gets asked this every, probably every Q&A session that she does, which is, you know, what's your secret to success? And the first is moving every day, Mm -hmm. moving and it, you know, and that just means moving. It doesn't mean going and running a seven minute mile or running as fast as you can. It means moving forward. And the second one is community and Mm -hmm. having people that have like-minded, you know, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, not necessarily all the time, but people who have your best interest and, and your, um, and your back. And Mm -hmm. that is just, you know, that, I mean, that epitomizes to me another mother runner. And I just Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, (laughs) we're not starting Rancho La Puerta anytime soon, but it really (laughs) drove home, you know, the two things that we value the most. And Mm -hmm. that really, uh, I mean, I'm not like, you know, patting on back. It's just like, when you see somebody like that, you're like, oh my God, she is so vibrant and so funny. And, you know, and I've met plenty of people who are not that way at 97 or mm-hmm. not that way at 87 or 77. Mm-hmm. And she, she just keeps herself open to all new experiences. She keeps her mind very occupied with reading a ton of books. I mean, half the books in that library, which I love are her own, that she just donates, that mm-hmm. she's read, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she's got a Pilates machine in her house. She does Pilates five days a week. You know, I mean, granted, oh, I know. you know, she's a different, you know, situation than a lot of us have having your own know, Pilates machine, but it's just, I don't know. It just really, the basic stuff of moving forward and having community is mm-hmm. achievable for everybody. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. She was t- telling us she actually just uh, broke her hip in December. So she had just come back from um, hip replacement surgery, I believe, or the, some surgery to repair it. But here she was, she said she was going to Chicago with her daughter because she had bought uh, or had won tickets to Hamilton in an auction. So she was going to see that. And then she was going to go visit Bill Moyers in New York because he's not doing well. And he used to be a very frequent guest at the ranch and then she talked about that she's going to Japan later this year with her daughter. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, like like J- flying to Japan sounds to me like a daunting trip. And, you know, she's, yeah. she's, she's got just 35 like, oh. years on me. You know? Exactly. It's amazing. 45 yeah. years. Yeah. 45 so, years for the record. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it was definitely such a magical time for, for everybody yeah. there. Um, and um, I, I, can we, are we going to try to do it again? I, oh, I, I don't we, know where that stands. We haven't spoken, but, but I oh. think, I, no, no, no. I'm totally on board with it. I think you're totally on board with it. And when Katie said the other day on the call, she's like, well, we really need to decide whether we'll do it again. And I'm thinking, mm, if I have anything to say about it, we're going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a big, a strong, a strong possibility. Yes. Um, if, if and I have a line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got a phone call tomorrow to talk to our pal Donna about uh, making it happen. So um, I, I say yes. I say yes. Um, so, all right. Well, our guest today is Christy Ashwanden, author of the just released book called Good to Go, What the Athlete in All of Us Can Learn from the Strange Science of Recovery. 
Christy is the lead science writer at 538 and a former health columnist for the Washington Post. She's a mighty badass um, in the athletic realm, too. Uh, she was a high school state champion in the 1,600-meter run and an elite cross-country skier with Team Rosignol. Dimity and I have known Christy for a bunch of years, so we're delighted to have her as a guest on the show, and we'll be right back with Christy. Welcome, Christy. We know you're fresh off an interview with Terry Gross. I mean, everyone always bops from fresh air to another mother runner. That's right. Saving the best for last. <laughs> I love it. Love it. We got to know, like, what was it like to be a guest on Fresh Air? Oh, it was dreamy. I mean, it was amazing. Don't we all love Terry? And she's just such a gracious and wonderful person. And it was really fun talking with her. Did you, were you in studio with her in Philadelphia? No, it wasn't. Although it's funny because I was just in Philadelphia yesterday, but I, I did the interview from Denver, from Colorado Public Radio. Oh, okay. Nice. nice. I've, heard that, I've heard that she doesn't have many guests in studio. So. Yeah, apparently, even if she's talking to you from Philadelphia, she'll put you in a different studio. She doesn't like, she mm -hmm. finds it distracting, apparently. This is all hearsay. By the way, mm -hmm. I didn't hear that. Did I hear that from her? <laughs> she's like, I would have invited you, but I need my space. Right, exactly. You're, exactly. you're such a big celeb. Well, you are going to be such, and you kind of are a big celeb because you've written this amazing book, Good to Go, Christy. And I, I was just telling you before we started this interview, I mean, we've known each other for as writing colleagues and friends long for time. a long, long, long time. And, um, and I finally got to pick up the book this week preparing for this podcast. And I was just blown away by what an amazing job you did on it. So major, major kudos to you. Um, oh, thank you so much. It means so much coming from you too, because you've done so much amazing writing too. It's really nice to hear you say that. Well, thanks. And like, I mean, I just think, you know, something like recovery, which I mean, it's, it's an important topic, but it isn't like, it's not like, uh, you know, Susie favorite Hamilton's book, right? We just, like, just got to go. Oh, and yeah. happen, you know? Stop that, right? <laughs> um, but it's, but it's, so it's like, okay, it's this thing that I know that I should read about and I should take care of. And you made right. it, but you made it so um, kind of personal and fun, but still like weaved in a bunch of scientific stuff. And I loved all the first person stuff because I mean, I wanted to go into the, like the cryotherapy booths and, you know, uh -huh. get naked at, at negative 210 degrees or whatever the <laughs> hell you did. I mean, it's really fun stuff. So I'm excited to dig in with you. Oh, thanks. And it's funny because, you know, the whole time I was writing this book and working on it, people would ask, what are you working on? And I'd say, oh, a book about recovery. And I just, I could almost see them like falling asleep. As I, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was falling asleep. Like, it sounds so boring. And I'm like, really, I swear it's, it's much more interesting than it sounds. So it's very satisfying. It is. In the first chapter, you kick off with your own like beer experiment, which I just loved. I mean, that was so cool that you set up a whole scientific experiment to figure out if beer benefits female runners and it does so I, right right yeah so cheers I, I to mean, that. Look, chapter yeah. one i get right to the to the most important stuff first exactly all about beer and running so we can pretty much wrap this up right now so just go drink a beer and i'm just kidding yeah um, right and what 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 made it all the more um legit in my mind is that you're such a talented and strong athlete i mean you have been cross-country runner um a were you a pro Nordic skier or an elite Nordic skier? Yeah, elite, um, elite Nordic. I used to race with the team, team Rosignol, and I raced all over North America. And actually, in Europe, I lived in Europe for a while and raced over there with Rosignol. So, yeah. You had a cycling cool. team too, right? I was. I was back in my 
days in Boulder um, was on a cycling team and that was great. I, I was also on the University of Colorado cycling team. We were national champion while I was doing that national champions, which was great. Um, but I started off my career as a runner and I have to say like running has been sort of the most consistent thing that I've done throughout my athletic career. And it's something that I did a lot of even when I was um, an elite skier because, you know, you can only ski part of the year. So in the summer, in the off season, I was doing a lot of running and still do. And what, and what do you do these days? Yeah. I mean, are you, are you mostly a runner or what do you, what do you like to do? Um, I do a little of everything, you know, it's winter right now. So I ski as much as I can, which right now is not possible because I'm talking to you right now from New York city. Um, <laughs> but I, I do a lot of skiing as much as I can. Um, I, I run pretty much year round. And actually this past fall, I started something new for the first time I tried cyclocross and fell in love with it. So it's something I'm kind of eager to do more of, but I'll continue to run because running is just my first passion. Um, okay. So I'll let Sarah have the mic in a second, but um, my, my uh, last question here for you is what gave you the idea about writing good to go? What, what to focus on recovery? Yeah. So I spent a lot of my younger years as an elite athlete and looking back on my athletic career, I realized that recovery is really the thing that I never quite managed to get right. And it was the thing that was probably my limiting factor as an athlete. And I've often heard this common advice that's given to writers, which is write the book you want to read. Well, this is the book I wish I had read back, yeah, back in my early days, probably as an athlete. Like if I had read this book in college, I probably would have had a little bit different trajectory. I think. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think is the biggest misconception active people have about recovery? Um, I think the biggest misconception is just sort of a general undervaluing of it and like mm-hmm. not recognizing the extent to which it limits what you can do. So what I mean by that is you can really only benefit from the training that you're able to adapt and respond to. And your ability to adapt and respond is really you know, driven by your ability to recover. And recovery is not just about taking a rest day. It's also about addressing all of the stresses in your life. And like, you know, at its most basic level, recovery is rest and relaxation. And I think that in today's world, we've gotten really bad at relaxing, like really, relaxing. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we can all be in agreement about that. One. <laughs> um, Is this hitting close to home, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little close. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so you've done all the research and personally tried so many things saving us mother runners from running around doing it all. Right. If you could, if you could pick one thing that a recreational woman runner who's say training for a half marathon or a marathon should do to recover more effectively, what would it be? So I, it's, it's a little bit hard for me to say one thing because um, it's very individual. I mean, the first thing that I will say that applies to everyone, particularly mothers, is sleep. Like, not just sleep, but prioritize sleep. Like, sleep should be as important to you as your training. Like, you should actually pencil it into your schedule the same way that you do your runs. Like, this Mm. is, like, there's nothing else in recovery that comes even close to that nothing Mm. comes close. But then the second thing I would say is that I think it's really important to find some kind of ritualized thing that you do for recovery. And what I mean by that, something or some way that sort of forces you to take some time out of your day to relax, whether it's putting your foot up, feet up, you know, feet up and your nose in a book, if it's getting a massage, if it's taking a hot bath. I mean, it doesn't actually matter what it is, but it's something where you are taking time out of your day to sort of 
drown out all of the distractions, to relax your body, to relax your mind too, because the mental aspect here is really, really important. And I think it's something that people just really discount and they ignore at their, their own risk. So I guess those are the two things that I would say. Make sure you sleep enough, sleep a lot, and find some sort of ritual for relaxing and addressing the stress in your life. I mean, I think, so that's very validating. So thank you, mm -hmm. science writer, Christy Schwanden, because now I feel, because I mean, I have always been a sleep person. I mean, I am naturally, uh, you know, a morning person. So going to bed mm -hmm. at 8.30 or 9, um, you know, and reading for a couple minutes and being asleep by 9.30 has always felt good to me. And, um, mm -hmm. and sometimes I really feel like I'm a buzzkill because like if I am out at a party at like 10, I'm like, I got to go home. You know, like I'm so yeah. tired right now. I got to go. Like my body is not holding <laughs> up. And, um, and I like, I mean, reading that chapter, I mean, just so much happens when you sleep and I just, I know it's hard and it's easy. It's easy to say it's hard to do, especially if you are not naturally prone to go to bed early and, you know, and we're talking to the group of women who have to get up a couple of times a night, you know, they have, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. tasks and all that kind of stuff. So it's not as easy as it sounds, but like you said, just prioritizing it a little bit, like even just trying to scoot it up 15 minutes or 20 minutes or putting on your PJs and brushing your teeth half an hour before you normally do so that when it's bedtime, you can just slide on in like that. That's, there's just small <laughs> things like that, that I think can make a, a big difference. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I'll just say, I yeah. think it's interesting what you said about being a morning person because that's absolutely right. And, and I have noticed in my time as an elite athlete that the very best elite athletes like tend to go to bed early. And that is something that, I mean, you won't see them staying out late partying because you know, you can't, you have to get that rest, but I am not a morning person mm -hmm. and yet I'm still able to prioritize sleep. Now, maybe I should disclose here that I'm not a mother and I recognize <laughs> that it's a lot easier when you don't have kids. Um, but it's sort of like there are ways to sort of design your day and to design things around your natural rhythms too. And I think it's important to do this. And so, you know, I have the luxury, I'm, I'm very lucky that I'm able to sleep in a little bit more and I can start my work day a little bit later to where I can sleep in, you know, past seven most days and sometimes even till eight, depending on, you know, how late I went to bed or whatever, but making that a priority and making it something where I say, no, it really, it really is that important. And, you know, there are people, so I wrote a story about Keegan Randall before the last mm -hmm. Winter Olympics. She ended up um, with Jesse Dickens winning a gold medal in the sprint relay in, in cross-country skiing. Um, but Keegan ha has a son and she said, you know, when she was coming back and, and training for the Olympics, you know, she enlisted her, her spouse and he was, you know, there were nights, particularly before events where it was like it was his they agreed in advance that it was his job to get up in the night if that was necessary as it often is with young kids like okay you know maybe not every night but there were certain nights where it was like the priority for sleep was for her and so they worked together to do that and I just think that it's so important to do that and to make sure that you're making it not just something that you're striving to do but that you're prioritizing and you're making whatever arrangements are necessary to do that. Well, and let's talk a little bit about the disco nap. And I can't remember who it was, but right. somebody, um, it was it an was athlete. Sue Bird. That who it takes, was, Sue Bird, yes, yeah. who takes, drinks coffee, then takes a disco nap and wakes up just like firing on all pistons, right? Sue, Sue Bird of the MD, WNBA. 
Yeah, that's right. And so the idea here is it takes about an hour or so, maybe plus or minus, for that caffeine to really kick in at full power. And so you take it right before your nap and you're sort of waking up, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes later, right as that caffeine's kicking in. And so you, it sort of helps with that sleep inertia that you often feel after a nap. Do you recommend that or do you just think of playing nap? Because that really, to me, feels like you're sending your body north and south at the same time. Oh, like, I, I don't would recommend it. You know, I will just say, you know, so in the book, I really make the case that naps are important and you know you really should try them but at the same time I have to admit I am not a napper and I never really I wish that back in my athletic career I had taken naps like um, some of my well I'll just say it my husband always told me I needed to nap because he's a napper and I just could never do it and now I'm like oh crap he was right but I will say so I'm on this book tour which is like pretty relentless I'm having like you know events back to back different cities every night. And, uh, you know, it's been really, so another important concept here is that travel is really tiring and really wearing. And sometimes you think, oh, you know, I didn't run yesterday because I was traveling. And yet, you know, I'm really tired because of all this travel and all the stress of travel and just the getting up early to travel and all these things. And so I've actually been napping on this book tour and I've been doing these naps. So two nights ago or two afternoons ago, I actually tried this and it worked great. I was just feeling a little tired and I had an event that night I needed to be on. I was speaking to a large crowd. And so I took one of these coffee naps and it was amazing. It really did the trick. Well, and so that's the second thing that validated, like, which I, we say a lot in the train, like a mother club. And I think people don't believe it. Um, but stress on the body is stress on the body. Like it can come from a 10 mile run or it can come from a kid who's up all night or it can come from a, a boss who, you know, doesn't stop you know, or is always on you or whatever. And, um, and I think, you know, that idea of like mentally taking a break and slowing down and just, you know, because it doesn't, again, like, you know, that's, that's as basic as it comes with stress in the body, it's stress in the body. I mean, there's a much deeper explanation than that, but your body can't tell the difference. And so when we're like, oh, you know, why am I, why is my performance going down? You know, I run, you know, I run and then I'm up and I'm, you know, going 25 miles an hour all day long and then I get up and do it again and I'm just getting tired and more tired and more tired. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> because you're absolutely, absolutely. What's going on, right? Right. And I'll just say, this is a classic mistake. So the person is like, oh, I'm so stressed at work and I have deadlines or you have a child who's been keeping you up. And even and so you missed a workout or you're not doing the training that you wanted to. And then you think, oh, so now I need to make up for it. And so instead of recognizing that, hey, that actually wasn't a rest day, that was like a stress day. <laughs> getting the training effect I wanted, it was not rest. And so my body's not ready to like go hard and perform yet. Like what I really need is rest. So I think one of the most important lessons that I learned researching this book too is that we have this tendency to just be in denial about things so like if you're really stressed and you're not recovered like you can't you can't just will that away and so I think acceptance is a really important part of this like accepting mm -hmm. like oh I've had a really stressful week and I wish things were different and I wish that I had been able to do this training that I had hoped that I could do but I didn't and the reality is like I'm actually my body's really tired right now and so training hard or doing that interval session that I had planned is not the right thing I need to you know take an actual rest day or take a nap or do maybe maybe I'm finally able to do the workout but what my body really needs is an easy run so that I can sort of recuperate a little bit like just being a little bit more realistic with you know what's actually going on with our bodies but also being kind to ourselves too and mm -hmm. not feeling like oh I really messed that up or I wish things were differently and so I'm just going to push through and and keep pushing that's how you really put yourself under right 
And I think that's such an important message for moms to hear because I think we just don't cut ourselves a break. And that, I don't know, particularly the older we get, the more we kind of think like, oh, I, I just have to nail it on all cylinders. And that you just can't say, no, today, you know, it is a day that I, I need to back off and do an easy run. Like you said, that's, I think that was really important message for people to hear. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little um, brass tacks about some of the things that you write about specifically in the book. So foam rolling, um, yeah. we promote it. We personally can attest to how it makes us feel better. But in your book, you highlight that researchers aren't sure why it works, so, which I found very intriguing. So talk us through a few theories and if you have any of your own. Sure. So foam rolling, I mean, the idea here is that you are working, you're, you're really massaging the fascia and the fascia is this stuff. I've, I think the best description that I've heard of it is that it's sort of like saran wrap around your tissues internally. It's all over your body. And so the, the sort of hypothesis here is that you may get adhesions. So there are different layers of it. And so the idea is that you can get like little kinks or adhesions in there. And so the foam rolling is supposed to be smoothing that out and sort of working out those, those kinks. Um, and the idea is also that you know, some of the stiffness that we feel sometimes in our muscles may be coming from this. These are just hypotheses. We don't know that that's the case for sure. This is a really exciting area of research right now. There's a lot of new stuff going on. And so, you know, a lot of hypothesis testing. Um, So we don't know that that's actually how it works. It's something that, you know, seems like a good theory for now. But there's also some really intriguing evidence that it may be something else. It may be some sort of neurological thing going on. So there have been some really cool and fascinating studies where they'll do like foam rolling on one calf and not the other, but they'll find benefits in both of them. And so Mm. what this is suggesting is that there may be some sort of nerve component where like maybe you're like relaxing the nerves a little bit and pain um, can have sort of these neurological loops that sometimes just doing something to quiet that or to to break the chain so that you get out of this sort of cycle of pain. So there may Mm -hmm. be something with that. Again, these are just hypotheses. So I would say that right now, in terms of what does the evidence say, the evidence says that there's a lot of people that really love foam rolling. They swear (laughs) by it. Um, They seem to think it helps them. There are some good hypotheses for how this might be working, but we don't really know for sure yet. And so I would say that, you know, you know, I wouldn't recommend, you know, necessarily believing these hypotheses are true. They might be if you're foam rolling now and it's helping you go ahead and continue. Personally, I find foam rolling really painful. I don't find it helpful. Now, I have not had, um, I understand that there are certain injuries or sort of certain chronic things. Like I've heard people with IT band problems just say that, you know, you, you will take my foam roller over my dead body. And I, that's not something I've ever had. Um, but I, you know, I don't personally do it. And so like, if you're someone who thinks like, this is just really painful, can I have your permission to stop doing it? My answer is yes. <laughs> On the other hand, if you really like it and feel like it's helping you keep doing it, you have my permission to do that too. But if they're in kind of a love hate relationship, like they don't necessarily like it while they're doing it, but it does <laughs> kind of benefit. feels like, I mean, for me, it always feels like my legs yeah. just feel a little bit fresher, you know? Um, that, that, and that's nice. Like, and they feel, I mean, you know, when we do the trigger point videos, sometimes I used to do them and it would be like, okay, first we're going to work on your right leg and they'd spend 10 minutes, you know, going from, you know, glute all the way down to calf. And then they'd have you step, you know, stand up and (laughs) walk around and you're like, compare your right to your left. And it, I mean, it feels, you know, justifiably different Mm -hmm, and lighter, mm -hmm. you know? So you're like, okay, but I like, I mean, that idea of the, 
the breaking the nerve cycle, that's really intriguing to me. Um, and it might cut foam rolling in half, right? I just have to go yeah. to the right side for the left side to get the better of it, right? <laughs> right. I would love, please do that experiment and report back. Okay. Okay. I would love to hear how to <laughs> Suddenly, Dimity's yeah. going to be walking I'm in a totally circle. I was going to say, as I lumber yeah. towards you next time <laughs> right. I see you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it was interesting. So that's one But thing. I also want to. Go ahead. Oh, I also just want to point out here. So there's also, you know, there's a, also the distinct possibility that foam rolling is just a really great placebo. And I have a whole chapter about placebos in the book, as you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about placebos is that painful placebos are much more effective than painless ones. You know, placebo mm. pill is not nearly as good as a placebo shot. And this, this is well established. And so, you know, a lot of what, what may be going on here is just your expectation. And, you know, I have a personal hypothesis about some of these things that are painful or unpleasant. And that is like, you're doing something that's like hurting. And so when it stops, you like almost by definition are going to be feeling better. <laughs> there is that possibility, that's right? That's legit. I like it. Well, speaking of placebos, let's talk a little bit about ice bath because that really had me had my jaw on the ground because the guy mm -hmm. who originally started, you know, started the whole rice, rest, ice, compression, and elevation mm -hmm. is now completely anti-ice. And um, I mean, just talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So icing is fascinating because it's something that it's one of the oldest recovery techniques. I remember back when I was bike racing, we used to always do ice baths after hard rides, particularly like during stage races and things. And I, I always hated them. They're so painful, but you know, we really believe that they worked. And one of the ideas here is that you're, you're somehow addressing inflammation or reducing inflammation. But one of the things that I learned while researching this book is that inflammation is actually your friend. Like inflammation is basically part of an essential part of the healing healing process. And the healing process is what helps us get stronger, fitter, faster when we're training. Um, you know, you train hard and you do microscopic damage to your muscles. Um, your body comes in there with these cleanup crews that use the, the immune system and the inflammatory process to make repairs. And they repair the, the muscles so that they're stronger and more prepared for next time. And so if you disrupt the inflammatory process, you're actually reducing your ability to respond to the exercise. So is this basically a, a, a hall pass for never taking another ice bath again? Yes, yes. yes. I give you full permission to okay. stop the ice baths. Well, what, what was I thought was and interesting about that a little bit, though, is you talked about the placebo. Again, the placebo, because if it feels like, if you feel like it makes you feel better, I mean, that mental boost, yeah. you know, like that getting out and that, that rush of blood and your legs feel kind of strong and yeah. badass, like that, that's a nice feeling, you know, like that's a feeling that I enjoy. I don't enjoy the process of getting there, but... I mean, right. that, that, that is something that people would benefit from, even if maybe the science, the physical science is behind it. Or can you talk a little bit about just the mental advantage? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, there is something to that. And with icing, one benefit that it does actually have that's established is, you know, it hurts like hell at first, but once you get really numb, you get really cold, it actually is numbing. And so it can be a good pain reliever. And so there are instances where it still might be a good thing to do if you're looking for some kind of pain relief. Um, same with anti-inflammatory drugs, which, you know, you shouldn't take just by, you know, you shouldn't take anti-inflammatory drugs just because you think they're going to reduce inflammation and that it's going to help you somehow recover better or be less sore. Um, but it is reasonable to take them if you're in a lot of pain and needing to address that pain and needing to reduce the pain, but just realize that you may 
also reduce your healing time a little, or you may increase your healing time a little bit more, and you may have less of an effect from that workout that you did. So you shouldn't just take these things willy-nilly. But there's also the, the idea here that, you know, so if you're taking the ice bath and you think, wow, that was really hard and it really hurt and this must be really working. I mean, one thing that I learned while working on this book is just that those expectations can really change the way you experience the pain or the soreness or whatever it is. And so whatever it is that you're expecting to feel, like that has a huge influence on what you actually feel. And so if you're doing something that is like physiologically ineffective, but you really believe that it's working, you may have an actual real benefit from it. And, you know, I think that that's okay, you know, given if, you know, assuming that you are not being scammed out of a lot of money, you're going through like a lot of unnecessary effort and things, you know, to get, to get this benefit. But, you know, if you're doing something, um, you know, that, that you've been given some explanation that's bogus, but it's actually making you feel good, like that's probably enough and that's reasonable. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the anti-inflammatories. I know, Gosh, I just think back to my early marathon days and my first one, first couple, I would carry Advil in a little plastic baggie, like in my, you know, kind of mm-hmm. fanny, fanny pack for lack of a better term. Uh, oh, they're back in vogue now, Sarah. Yeah, so, you know, they, exactly. they I wear them in the oh, front. Yeah. 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 Wear them in front. And, uh, uh, that, oh gosh, I just, I was so bummed because when I ran New York in 99, um, they turned into powder in the bag because they just must have been rubbing up against something and I was like no and I was like oh do I lick the inside (laughs) of the bag do I you know snort it what do I do and um but now (laughs) so so now I just have swung (laughs) so far in the opposite direction that yesterday gosh the middle of my back was just killing me I think I'd done something to it in class two days before and I was like no, I can't take Advil. I can't take Advil. And then finally, I'm like, okay, this is really making me hold my head funny when I'm typing. And this is not, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take <laughs> yeah. two Advil. And that's it. So um, yeah, <laughs> just kind of, um, there's a there's a wow. fine line to walk. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so in the it chapter is. in your book about fuel, I loved when you're talking about that off uh-huh. off touted window when an athlete should eat protein. And you quote a researcher who says it's not so much a window as an anabolic barn door, which I just adored. Um, so <laughs> sin- since moms in yeah. particular get sucked into real life after a challenging workout, kind of detail what the researchers said about not having to be so worried about eating protein right after a workout, like the you know moment you walk in the back door. It's really interesting. Um, you know, back when I was a bike racer in the 90s, we had this idea that it was super important. There was this very narrow window of opportunity, the recovery window, and it was just essential that you got some carbohydrates and protein, protein in particular, in right away during this window. But it turns out that, you know, it, there were studies that were sort of pointing that way. But as more research was done and, and scientists sort of did some more investigation in here, it looks like that's not actually the case. And although it is important to refuel, after your workouts, the timing is not nearly as crucial as we used to think. And really, if you're eating good, normal meals throughout the day and getting protein throughout the day, that's fine. And they've done some interesting studies where they actually played around with different timing, giving people protein before the workout or even during the workout versus after the workout. And it turns out that it's not the actual 
specific timing of the protein. It's just that you're getting it. So it's actually probably just as good and, and maybe even advisable to be just getting that protein throughout the day. And so I think the advice here, especially for busy moms is, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't eat something right away, like it's okay. Don't, don't stress about it. It's fine to wait a few hours even till your next meal. Um, you know, you do want to be sure that you're refueling. You don't, you don't want to go um, until the next day or something. But unless you're going to be working out right away again, you have plenty of time and it's just not something that you should be stressing about. Oh, that is, I appreciate that hall pass because yeah. I can't tell you the number of times I'd be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to finish my workout and then I have to take a shower and then I have to get the kids to basketball and soccer and da, da, da. And it's like, oh my gosh, where am I going to have a chance to eat? You know, and it's like, oh, okay, it's all right. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, and our Ellie, the nutritionist <laughs> that we work with a lot, the yeah. Train Like a Mother Club, you know, she always says that the body is a thermostat, not a calculator. And I really appreciate that. Like you want to keep it you know, at a nice warm temperature the whole time, but it's not like it says, you know, oh, now you just had 20 grams of protein 30 minutes after your workout, you know, like it's, it's, a, it echoes exactly what you just right. said, Christy, yeah. which is, you know, yes, you need to eat and you need to eat well, but it's not like, it's like, oh, too late, barn doors closed, you know, like it just doesn't happen, you know, I mean, it, it may happen yeah. for, you know, elite Ironmen or people who are, like you said, like training intensely a couple times a day, but, you know, I would say that's a, you know, that's the 1% of this crowd, <laughs> if that right now, you know, right. um, just because we don't have the time. Yeah. Um, well, and one thing I wanted to talk about before uh, we get into, we, we definitely want to talk about infrared and saunas, but one thing that kind of hit me and it hit, it hit me a lot also when I used to be more of a, a journalist was the studies and um, how much weight we as the public put into studies. You know, the New York Times will say, this or like you got to do that study in runner's world like beer is good for women you know beer beer is good for female runners and you had nine people um in the study right and it wasn't you know and you you disclose it wasn't as quite as um accurate and maybe as efficient as it could have been right the study that you did um and yet we get these kind of headlines that are yeah. like you know that that all of a sudden people are like okay now i have to drink beer and now i have to drink tart cherry, cherry juice and now i have to have my protein within 30 minutes and and then you go and look at the study. And I mean, most of the studies in your book are on people, mostly men, right? Because that's just what was studied. Yeah, right. And often less than 20 people in the study. You know, 100 was a big study, which, you know, talk just a little bit about the science behind that, because that's not really a critical mass, is it? Yeah. So there's a lot of studies out there. There's a lot of studies there's a lot of science that is used more as marketing than as sort of like a tool for discovery. And I think that, you know, just this idea that one study or even a handful of studies are going to prove definitively that something works. Like, I think we're just too quick to, to reach those conclusions. And I wanted to say here that I'm very pro-science and studies are great. And that's like, that is the one way that we have to understand this stuff. But we just tend to sort of jump to conclusions and no single study can give us a definitive answer. I think it's important to recognize that every study will leave a lot of uncertainty. And so you need multiple studies before you can really be certain about something. And this can be really tricky because there's also the problem of, you know, particularly with things that are being monetized and sold, um, whether it's a particular quote unquote superfood or it's a product or it's a a category of product or a method or something, you can have a situation where basically the positive 
studies. So the studies where they're finding something that, you know, makes the thing look good, get published or they get publicized or, you know, you're told about those, but you're not told about the ones that failed or didn't show a benefit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I told you that there were three studies showing that, you know, this particular superfood was really great for recovery, you'd think, well, three, that's pretty good. But if I told you that there were six studies on that superfood and only three of them showed a benefit, you would probably think differently. And this is a situation that exists in a lot of the scientific literature is that we just don't have um, a way of knowing what the full picture looks like. So, so out of all the things that you got to try, what was like your most favorite and why? Oh, that's easy. The float tank, which I actually expected Mm. to hate. I was Mm. like really bracing to hate this thing, which you're basically lying naked in a very shallow pool of salt water in the dark. It's completely quiet. And I thought I would hate it, but I absolutely loved it. It is basically forced meditation for people like me with monkey minds. And it's the one thing that I have continued to do after I was done, you know, doing it for the book. How long are you in there for usually? An hour, an hour. I don't, I, I've never tried longer than an hour. I don't think an hour feels like the sweet spot to me. I've always, it's kind of a popular thing to do here in Portland. I've always, I, I am not a fan of enclosed spaces. I just feared I'd have a total freak out panic attack. Oh, I had the same fear and I'm the same way. I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Like I really, really hate elevators. Mm-hmm. And yet I, I, I love this thing. It was such a surprise to me. Wow. Oh, they always have um, Groupons for it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe we need to do some business research, Sarah, you and I. <laughs> I know. There, there was a part of me, I have to say, Christy, that I thought, I how much did she just want to do this book so she could expense all of these treatments? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, have right. to get a, I have to get another <laughs> massage. <laughs> well, and, and what was the one that you, you didn't like the most? Like, which one is one where you were like, I can't wait for this to be over? Oh, yeah. I guess the infrared sauna I wasn't a big fan of, although it wasn't terrible. It was fine. I just, it's just like, it's just a sauna that's not quite as warm as a regular Mm -hmm. sauna. And I I prefer, I mean, I like heat. I like heat. I really, I did a lot of uh, um, uh, hot springs and things like that. So that was good. I I can honestly say that I was not a huge fan of the cryotherapy, although it did give me a nice rush. So I can kind of understand, like, if I had a chance to do it again, I might try it again, but I've definitely, you know, wasn't feeling like it helped my recovery. It did make me feel like I wanted to go kick some butt though. That's worth something, right? Yeah. Right. (laughs) It was funny. I related to you because we uh, were just at Rancho La Puerta and they have an infrared sauna Mm -hmm. and, I know Dimity really enjoyed it and was telling people to try it. And so I went in there and I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, and finally I'm like, forget it. I'm right. out of here after seven minutes. And it was like the longest seven minutes of my life. So when you were like that final five minutes took forever, I'm like, oh yeah, Christy, you're my girl. <laughs> yeah. I will say I, right. I, when I, I've cranked up the heat more and those, like I like to like 140 or so. So by the end, I mean, I'm definitely sweating and stuff. So, I mean, it feels, it feels more, it feels more like a regular sauna. I like a regular sauna too. I just, you know. I don't know. It's one of those, mm-hmm. it's a little yeah. trendy, but kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Christy, yeah. for the, for the final question, you talked a little bit about this earlier about, you know, if you could talk to your younger athletic self and you talk about that in the book's conclusion. Yes. So, so given all that kind of way of thinking, what takeaways do you have um, from that, that you think would apply to uh, badass mother runners who are listening? Yeah, I have a couple of takeaways. So one is keep it simple. Like do not, 
recovery should not become its own source of stress in your life. So if you're mm -hmm. doing things to recover that are like stressful in and of themselves, stop doing those things. <laughs> um, learn to read your own body. This is like the most simple thing, but so much of the things that I'm saying are like, you know, you don't need to drink to some formula, drink when you're thirsty. Like you don't need to um, eat special foods, eat what you're hungry for. Like it, it really is like learning how to read your body is one of the most important skills any athlete can build. But it's hard because you have have to learn to pay attention to the right things. So it's not as straightforward as it might sound. And then I guess the third piece of advice I would give is just to find that recovery ritual, to find some way to make relaxation a habit and a part of your daily life, whatever that looks like for you. And I think it needs to be individual. For some people, it may, you know, be just 10 minutes of meditation. It could be taking a hot bath. It could be a walk around the block by yourself to just clear your mind. I don't know what it is for you, but I think every person can find something and, and find a way to fit it into their lives. What, what's yours, Christy? Um, I would say that mine is my morning walk with my dog and my husband. We do it every morning when I'm home, which is most of the time. And it just, it sort of centers me. It's a way, you know, it's very easy exercise, but it's a way for me to connect with my husband, with my dog, with my place to feel sort of at home in the world. But it's also a way to kind of check in on how I'm feeling. You know, we walk up this hill and if I'm really sore, I will feel it then. And it's kind of a way to say, okay, I don't, I'm not going to do a hard thing today or, oh, I'm feeling really great. I think I'm going to do that hard bike ride or the intervals on the track or whatever it is. Um, so it's a way of just checking in and sort of getting some body awareness too, which I think is another important thing for athletes to just really check in on, you know, answering this question, how am I really feeling? Mm -hmm. I love that. That's awesome. Nice. All right. Well, um, we hope um, that you're able to listen to your body and see what it needs while you're on all your travels yeah. for your book. And keep napping. You... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much, Christy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Okay. So uh, out of everything that you read, Sarah, what do you want to try out of all that? I mean, are you, are you, could you try the float tank? You know, uh, she made it sound appealing and doable the fact that she said that she's afraid of elevators or nervous about elevators i'm like okay i can totally handle elevators so if she could handle the float tank i'm thinking yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. an and hour feels, feels like a long up. time to me though i won't lie an hour feels like a long time to be yep. floating around with sensory yeah, it's funny alex says it flies by and i was thinking the same thing i sort of wonder you know there's that wonderful place that your mind goes during like a massage or something it's not you're not asleep but you're mm -hmm. not fully conscious. So yes. I'd be kind of, you know, um, kind of a um, light dosing acid trip without any acid. So, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, it's, it's it, I'm sure there's a ton of them, right? Well, it's probably not a Valentine's day activity, but it's today's Valentine's day. So we could go on to Groupon. Maybe, maybe we'd each try it and, and compare notes in a couple months, you know, cause we'd be naked doing it. So that kind of is, has a Valentine's theme to it, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I want to say the reason I said the micro dosing was I just read Leanne Moriarty's nine perfect strangers. So it's not something I'm familiar with, but I just, it was in the book. So anyway, anyway, <laughs> I didn't even catch micro dosing. Okay. Sounds All good. right. Okay. So, so want to say that if you're in the Bay area, I hope you'll venture to Berkeley for our podcast recording party on Monday, March 11th. Our special guest is Katie Arnold, winner of the 2018 Leadville 100 ultra marathon and author of her just released memoir, running home. 
The party is at the headquarters of our beloved partner, Goo Energy Labs, and you can bet there will be tasty swag. Doors open at 7 and the recording starts at 7.30. You can buy a copy of Katie's book at the party as well as AMR merch. Uh, please RSVP so we can get an accurate headcount for those swag bags. Uh, and the easiest way to RSVP is to go to anothermotherrunner.com and search for 2019 Goo Party, G-U Party. And uh, wherever you get our podcast, please be sure to download it. Better yet, please subscribe to the show and set it to auto-download. It helps support the show and it shows our advertisers we have loyal listeners. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Happy miles.